You may be seated. Just a couple other things. Um, if you want to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4, and as you're doing that, um, we would love for you to invite your friends, uh, your neighbors who don't know Jesus, who might be looking for a church home too, uh, to our Christmas Eve service. And so we've printed out some invitations that you can hand out uh, to them. You can get them in the back, up front here. Um, you'll be able to find those. Uh, take as many as you want. Be praying about who um, God might um, call even that night um, to himself uh, through your invitation to come and hear the gospel and center around Jesus. Um, also, um, if you um, would like to uh, give your tithe and offering, you can do that um, either in the offering plates that are up here or in the back or online through our website. You can mail it into the church office um, and do that as well. So Hebrews um, chapter 4, we are... Um, we're camping out on this theme through the Advent season, God became man in the person of Jesus. That's what we celebrate at Christmas time. That's what we anticipate um, in our lead up to Christmas through the Advent season. Children, remember Advent just simply is an old word that means coming. And at, during Advent season, we look backward to God becoming man in the person of Jesus, but we also look forward to Jesus coming back as a man to bring the new heavens and new earth. That work of God becoming man is what we call the incarnation. And we've been asking this question through the Advent season. Why was it necessary for God the Son to add to himself another nature by taking on our flesh and so to that end, we're going to look at temptation this morning. And so we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 4. But if you've got your Bibles, I want to read from Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18, before we jump to our text for today in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. This is God's word. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18. For because he himself, Jesus, has suffered when tempted... He is able to help those who are being tempted. Now, carry that theme over to chapter 4, verse 14, and we read this. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. This is God's word. The grass withers, the wisdom of man fades away, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And so would you pray with me and ask his blessing on the word preached. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to your word, we would ask that with the power of your spirit, the power that changes dead men and women, making them alive in Christ, your spirit and your word working to plant new life in us and causing it to grow 
bearing fruit a hundredfold, that which is sown, changing us and comforting us, convicting us and encouraging us, cutting us so that we might find Jesus to be the only balm for our weary souls. And so, Lord Jesus, be our prophet who speaks God's word to us today and draw us to the throne of grace again, we pray. In your name, our Savior, amen. Well, perhaps you've heard the rumors. There's a conspiracy in the world. The powers that be, the real powers, not the ones that you can see, but the ones that are working behind the scenes that are making things happen, they're the ones that we need to be concerned about. And it's time we woke up and noticed. Their influence is everywhere, and they're responsible for more than we realize. And I'm not talking about chemtrails or the CDC. There's a greater danger. And we would do well to orient ourselves to this fight, not against politics, but the fight for the level of our desires, the fight for our heart at the level of our desires. For this is where the evil one works most often, tempting us by seducing us into a destructive pattern of sin, destroying us from the inside out. This is the time of year, as I mentioned, when we focus on God becoming man in the person of Jesus. Now, I think we can easily gloss over that reality and, and think that, that Jesus just kind of took on humanity and not think about the full implications of that. Jesus, in taking on to himself another nature, on take in taking to himself our full humanity, also took on all of our infirmities and our weakness. He became a real man, which meant he too had to go through a period of temptation. But why? Why was it necessary, as the writer of Hebrews tells us in 2.18, and again in four, chapter 4, 14-16, why was it necessary that Jesus go through a period of temptation? Why? Because he was the second Adam. You see, in the beginning, the first Adam was entrusted, the first man was entrusted with carrying the full weight of humanity on his shoulders. And as such, Adam had to go through a period of trial, a temptation, a test. And if he would have passed, he would have brought the whole of humanity into his glory Students, you'll remember a few weeks ago, we illustrated it this way. Imagine God saying, or your teacher saying to you, you we're going to take the smartest person in your class and put your grade on their shoulders. Whatever the valedictorian earns, we're going to give to every member of the class. That was the way Adam functioned. If he would have succeeded, he would have brought all of humanity into the glory that God had designed for us. We saw this in Hebrews chapter 2. He tells us that he subjected the world to the first man. And in doing so, he also says he subjected the world to come. And so Adam had a design, a goal. 
And if Adam would have obeyed, everything would have been fine. We would have been in a, all of humanity would have been in a state of flourishing. But Satan would have none of that. And so he tempted Adam. And Adam fell. And he fell into sin. And as we are reminded from our catechism today, it affected us at such a deep and profound level. It wasn't just Adam that fell, but all of humanity fell with him. But God. Those are always the words that are at the heart of the gospel. But God. But God would not let that be the final chapter on creation or for us. And so he sent his son to redeem us from the curse and corruption of sin. And so that is why Jesus needed to be tempted in every way that we are in order to take the broken world and a sin-cursed people into the glory and flourishing that God had designed for us to enjoy. Jesus had to be tempted in every way that we are so that he could succeed in every place that we fail. But... We've sort of been begging a question that needs a definition up to this point. What is temptation? It's easy to throw words out there. And if you're not a Christian or maybe new to the Bible, it it may be a word that you've heard. You may have been around the church for decades and, and never had a clear definition of what temptation is. And so let me offer this to us today so we can jump from there into how Jesus not only conquered temptation, but gives us the resources when we are being tempted. And so here is a working definition of temptation. Temptation is, if you're taking notes, a period of testing where sin is held out to lure us to indulge in sin. That temptation is a period of testing where sin is held out to lure us to indulge in sin. That is the great conspiracy in the world. The evil one conspiring against the kingdom of God to topple his people. Not by overt acts that might scare us, but by appealing to our heart's desires... To lure us into indulging in sin. Jeremiah Burroughs says it this way. He, Satan does this. He shows us the bait and then he hides the hook. Temptation works at the level of our desires by making sin alluring because... We are primarily desiring creatures who were made for satisfaction. Children, this is the way we work. We always do what we want to do. When you do something that you're not supposed to do, and your mom might ask, why did you do that? And you say, I don't know, I just wanted to. 
Well, that's perhaps the most profound answer and honest answer that you can give. Not blaming others, not saying something caused me to do this, not your brother's fault or your mom's fault, but simply because you wanted to do it. Nobody has ever done something that they didn't want to do. You can't make somebody do something that they don't want to do. You can force somebody to choose between two different levels of pain or loss. But at the end of the day, none of us do something that we don't want to do. Our wills are tied to our desires. You will always, 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 always choose your greatest want. And so this is where temptation works. Satan, knowing how God had crafted us, appeals to our desires, our want-tos. And this is how he appeals to our desires. He lures us by causing our desires for sin to grow. Just this week, I had a rental car. Well, mine was in the shop. Now, I've learned in my almost 50 years that rental cars are my arch nemesis in life because I love cars. I love cars. I love my car. I love driving my car. I love getting into my car. A car has a is a very small function in life. It And my car does its job reliably well. It gets me around. It gets good gas mileage. And then as an extra bonus, I even enjoy my car. It's quite comfortable. I'm quite content. And I often, in fact, thank God for my car. My heart's full. And then I get a rental car. And after a day, I'm thinking, hmm, you know, there are things that could be better about my car. There are things that I really like about this car that my car just 24 hours ago I was praising God for. This car has things that that car doesn't. And you see what's happening is my desires are being shaped. My want-tos are being appealed to and They are growing to the place where I am no longer content. The allurement is causing my desires to grow. Our desires are like gardens. They can be sowed and fertilized. And when you nurture, whatever you nurture in that garden of your want-tos will grow. It's not hard to get our desires to grow. In fact, this is all that marketing does is cause our desires to grow to the degree that we're no longer content and want the next thing. But there's another gardener out there, one who knows how our desires work, knows how you work. He knows that you are primarily a desiring being, and so he sows to your desires, particularly to your sinful desires, so that they grow a good crop of sin instead of faithfulness to God. Consider how Satan worked in his first temptation in the garden as he tempted Eve. God had given Adam and Eve tremendous freedom in the original 
garden kingdom that God had created. It was a place of beauty and delight. And God even walked there. Their hearts were full. And God even gave them a tremendous task to do. Take this flourishing place and grow it until it covers all of creation. And and make more people so that they inhabit this and can enjoy it with you. Cultivate creation. Spread it until it covers the whole world. Then my kingdom will cover from north, south, east, and west. And then he looked at one tree and he said to Adam, Don't eat from that tree. Trust me, that tree will give you something that you don't want. It's not good for you. That tree will give you the knowledge of good and evil. And if you eat of that tree, you'll die. Everything else you can enjoy, just not that tree. And so Satan sneaks in on his belly under the radar and he tempts them. He makes the fruit from that tree more appealing. Eve doesn't just eat. No, Moses in Genesis 3 gives us some important details about the hidden workings of what's going on. This is what we read. The woman saw that that tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes. And was to be desired to make one wise. And so she took its fruit and ate. That's how temptation works. That's how Satan tempts. He appeals to our desires to make sin look good. To make it a delight to our eyes. To increase our desire for sin. James says it this way in James chapter 1 verse 14 and 15. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire when it's conceived gives birth to sin. And sin when it's fully grown brings forth death. That's the hook that he hides. He doesn't say you see how beautiful this is. It's going to destroy you at the end. Oh, he says, you see this? I'm going to make it enticing. I'm going to make it look beautiful. Do you you see what that person's done to you? You should seek revenge on them. Then you can feel a sense of self-importance. You get your pound of flesh back and show that how powerful you really are. Or don't you want that? Who doesn't want that? And he hides the hook. Don't you realize that this will lead to death? God's vengeance will come after you too. It will destroy your relationships. And at the end of the day, you'll be a shriveling mess of anger. He shows the bait. He hides the hook. And Satan tempts us by working with our desires. Not working against our desires, but working with our desires. Let's, let's not give him too much credit, though, because he has a lot to work with in us, doesn't he? he? He doesn't have a blank canvas like he had with Adam and Eve. It's more difficult for him to have tempted them. They were not yet corrupted by sin, but our desires have been corrupted by sin. It's not that we sin. We're now predisposed on the inside to actually want sin. The desires of our flesh 
crave it. They arise from within us. We hunger and crave from the depth of our being the sin that he holds out for us. And so when Satan tempts us, he's pushing a rock downhill. There's a lot of momentum to work with. He doesn't have to work extra hard because our desires have already been corrupted by sin. And he holds out the bait and he says, I'm going to grow this. Now we're back to Jesus. God in the flesh. He took on our humanity. And in our humanity, he overcame temptation because as the God man, he was not born with the disordered desires that we all have, but a man with desire nonetheless, because he was made in the image of God. He didn't become man and put on a man coat. He added to himself a new nature, our nature, with all of our infirmities. And as the writer of Hebrews says, with our weaknesses as well, in his humanity, Jesus knew hunger and thirst. He knew tiredness. Think about this. In his body, he had hormones. Now, Teenagers, you think about that for a minute. He had hormones raging through his body. Now, some of you are postmenopausal, and you think about that. He, you, you get the way that it affects us so deeply. Our bodies and our souls are all tied together in a mixed mashup that creates our desires. He experienced fear and anxiety in his body so much so that his blood vessels popped as he sweated blood as he faced the wrath of God for our sins at the cross in his body. He had all of our weaknesses and all of our infirmities in his body. Therefore, verse 15 of chapter 4, he is able to sympathize with our weakness because he was tempted in every way that we are. Now, it's easy to think at this point, Jesus wasn't dealing with the corrupted internal desires that we had. Satan was with Jesus pushing a rock of temptation uphill with Jesus. That's good theology. Now you're thinking biblically. He was born by the Holy Spirit of a virgin outside the line of our first father, Adam. He therefore took on our full humanity in its original state, not in its corrupted by sin state. He was a new man, but he was still fully human and had all of our desires. And so Satan was pushing the rock of temptation uphill with Jesus but this was the second Adam on whom all of redemption was on his shoulders. This was the son of God became man to save God's people from sin, Satan, and death. He was pushing uphill, but he was pushing uphill against the desires of Jesus with all that he had. Because if he could topple this last one, then all would be his forevermore and so Jesus was tempted with the fierce raging anger of Satan 
like a dragon looking to devour Jesus, the man, Christ Jesus. And so he really was tempted in all ways as we are and to a greater degree than we could ever face and yet without sin. That's huge. That last statement at the end of verse 15 is huge. He was tempted in all ways that we are. He's able to sympathize with us in our weakness, but without sin. He conquered temptation all the way through to the other side, faithful and victorious, bearing the full weight of fierce temptations from the evil one in his last gasp attempt to thwart God's kingdom. Jesus remained faithful, conquering his desires and bringing them in conformity to God and his word all the way to the end. Look, I've got such a short time of faithfulness in me. I fall sometimes without even realizing how coy and subtle the evil one was in his scheming, in his temptation. And on the other side, like, how did I get there? I didn't even realize what was going on. I fell like that. Sometimes I might resist, might realize what he's doing, how he's holding out sin, growing my desires, and resist for a little bit. But then, I quit. It's too hard. I give in. But this Jesus, in his flesh, on our behalf, fought this battle at the level of temptation and desires and remained faithful to the end. Now we can go back to our text from Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And again, in verse 14 of chapter 4, since then, since then, this great high priest has passed through the heavens. He's able to, having been tempted, come on the other side faithfully He's able to come to our rescue for two reasons. One, he's a faithful high priest. He presented, he prepared all of this fighting against Satan's temptation so that he could, as the faithful high priest, prepare a sacrifice in his body to present to God the judge of all the earth. And God the judge of the earth says, I'm satisfied with that. You are faithful all to the end. That's a, your body is the unblemished sacrifice that takes away my wrath. I'm, I'm satisfied. For those who are in Christ, I'm, I am satisfied. And you see what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Is that now Jesus sits on his throne And because God, the judge of all the earth, is satisfied with that sacrifice, the full armory of God's resources are open for us to fight against temptation. Not by your own strength, but by the strength of Jesus. And so let me open up, lastly, this last, I won't make any promises for how long, these last bit. 
Let me open up the armory of Jesus to show you the tools, at least some of the tools, at least four of the tools that he's given us for this battle. First, realize that temptation is common. So one of the reasons that we pray every Sunday, Lord, deliver us from temptation. Just, it's common. So the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus was tempted just as we are. It's not uncommon to man. And so here's what I find. Don't get jarred when temptation comes. It should be a given for us. Temptation comes. I think that too many of us get freaked out after we get converted by Jesus and we still have desire for sin and it tempts us. And then you might have been a Christian for decades and you're like, what? where did that come from? I still have sinful desires that are growing at times. Of course they are. He's, he's holding out the temptation, causing your desires to grow. It should be a given that we have an enemy who is tempting you and he still has much to work with because none of our desires will be full and complete and perfect until Jesus comes back. And thus in our moment of temptation, when it sets into our hearts, we're surprised by the wicked things that arise in us. It should be a given. John Owen makes this observation. He says, look, there are times when a desire completely arises out of the blue. You, you found your heart wanting things, thinking about things that just generally you don't want. You're like, there are, there, there are certain sins that we cultivate ourselves, and there are certain desires that come on us like that. And it's arresting. You're like, where did that come from? It's frightening because it's so gross when it happens and so disgusting, and we're shocked by it. And Owen says, that's a good sign. That you are being tempted by the evil one from the outside. But beware. Because the evil one only tempts in the directions that we're prone to go. He's like a great judo master. He uses the natural momentum of our sinful desires against us. And to his advantage. And so this is the point. Don't be surprised when it happens. It should be a given. And it's not the first response that matters. It's not the arrival of the desire. It's what you do with it that matters the most. This is where that second response, this is where our battle with temptation is won or lost. Now that it has arrived, what will you do? And so this is our second and third tool. It's our admonition in verse 14 and 16. There's two admonitions, two calls, two rallying cries to the battle both starting with let us. He's calling out God's people in the midst of the fight. Let us hold fast our confession. Verse 14, let us draw near to the throne of grace. Verse 16. And so there's our second weapon in the armory of Jesus. Let's hold fast to our confession. 
It's odd. You're in the fight. Satan has, has targeted you at the level of your desires. And the call to keep fighting is simply this. Remember that Jesus is enough. Hang on to the gospel. Don't drop it and run to your desires. Just hold fast. Hold tight to Jesus because he is the very thing that you're being tempted to move away from and find satisfaction and relief and contentment in something else. So just hold fast to your confession. You can hear the subtlest of the evil one even in that moment. Did God really say... Did God really say, come on, can you really trust him? Is Jesus really enough? This thing over here is so much better. It will, it will bring you satisfaction. It will bring you delight. That's the nature of sin. That is an actual true promise. The thing that makes the temptation to sin so powerful in his hands is it does give pleasure in the moment. And so hold fast. And you see what he says? Because Jesus has passed through the heavens. He's won this battle. And that is the resources that we need the most. The Jesus who won. Because you know what happens when you resist temptation? It gets more difficult the longer it goes on. It's one of the reasons that we quote so quickly give in. It's precisely, in fact... Often why we give in, because to resist a desire increases its intensity. And Jesus is sympathetic to this. He knows that intensity. He can sympathize. He literally feels our pain. And so there's something comforting about a sympathetic friend. When you're in intense suffering, you want to be with someone who's been there too. You've lost a spouse. You really want to be with someone who's lost someone. Just knowing that there's someone in the room who has gone through what you've gone through is a great comfort. But you know what else you need? You need more than just empathy and sympathy. You need someone with power. And so you need an advocate who sits at the right hand of God the Father who has power over sin and sympathy in our temptations. And that's Jesus. He can sympathize with us in our weaknesses and then call in all of his power to help when we are tempted so that we might continue to fight as the intensity increases. Hold fast to our confession. And third, draw near to the throne of grace. So this is the third Weapon, but it's the second battle cry here in our passage, verse 16. Let us then, because Jesus has got us on his shoulder. He's taken us through judgment, God's wrath, into God's throne room. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace so that we can may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Look, when you're looking for help, you don't go to someone who's failed at the task. Like if I need help with my car, uh, one, I don't try to do it myself anymore because I've learned that lesson. But I also don't go to someone who has no idea what they're doing and ask for their advice. You go to the one who's succeeded, knows how to get you through the task 
at hand. How much more then with Jesus, who has succeeded at fighting against temptation, living faithfully to God, has passed through the heavens, has compassion, grace for our fight, mercy for our failures, all there at the feet of Jesus. He has earned it for us. And so in the midst of temptation, don't turn away simply because you're being tempted. Your access to God's presence is not based on any of your merit, any of your success, any of your faithfulness, but fully on Jesus. And so in the midst of temptation, don't get discouraged and turn away because you're being tempted towards sin. And it is quite alluring. Instead, approach with boldness and confidence and find mercy for your failure and grace for your fight. And then lastly, lastly, remember that all temptation eventually comes to an end. God is faithful. He's sovereign even over Satan tempting you. While temptation is done by Satan, it's still under the faithful hand of your father. And when Satan intends it, uh, intends it for evil, God intends it for good. And because he is reigning even over our times of temptation, it comes to an end. It would have come to an end for Adam. It did come to an end for Jesus. God won't let it go on forever. And so fight and remember, as Paul does and reminds us in 1 Corinthians 10, not only is whatever you're being tempted is the same thing that everybody else is being tempted. There's no temptation uncommon to man. But that God won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Because he's reigning over this. He's like a, he's like a coach who puts his players in practice. And in the midst of practices, putting weight and pressure on them so that they might be better prepared for the next season. But that ends. He's not going to put you in two-a-days for 365 days of the year. Instead, he puts his people through the ordeal allowing Satan to tempt us so that we might find that Jesus is enough and then he'll bring that season of temptation to an end part of the reason we give up is because we think I can't do this forever you don't have to God will bring that season of temptation to an end and in the midst of it he's growing to your desires. You see, Satan grows your desires so much that it makes sin appealing. But God in his love for his people is the master gardener who through temptation grows our desires so that we will be rid of our self-sufficiency and find Jesus to be enough. And so hold fast, approach the throne with grace, and realize 
whatever temptation you're in, will come to an end. Let's pray. Lord, you, you're the king who fights our battles and wins our wars. You're the one who has gone before us, gaining our victory on our behalf. You're the one who has satisfied the wrath of God so that all that we need when being tempted by sin and even giving into that temptation is provided freely, fully, and in abundance in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, please, please, we would pray. Don't lead us into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. But in the midst of our temptation, when you choose to take us there, help us to stay faithful all the way to the end. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.